After an accident, minutes matter. Your words and actions matter even more. You need help, and you need it now. This is David vs. Goliath, brought to you by Dolman Law Group Accident Injury Lawyers, a boutique firm with a reputation for going head-to-head -head with the insurance company giants and putting people over profits. Hi, my name's Stan Geip, and I'm here with my partner, Matt Dolman, for another episode of the David vs. Goliath podcast. And today we are honored to have special guest Chris Dreyer on with us. And while most of you probably don't know Chris, Chris is very big in the SEO world, search engine optimization. He's one of the premier search engine optimization experts in the whole country. We use him a lot at our office, and he's going to share a little bit of stuff with us today about you know, Google, how Google works, some of the algorithms, like what Google looks at on your pages, and maybe get into a few other interesting stuff as it relates to search engine optimization. So Chris, thanks for coming on. Stan, Matt, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, let's just jump right into it. So we have a, a new algorithm that hit on uh, the 14th of December. Some sites were shaking up a little bit. We got a little bit of a, uh, I wouldn't call it we're hit too badly because we just, we just start a new website anyway. But tell us what happened and how does it affect you know it was basically targeting links yeah and targeting links that look spammy or um look to be deceitful or not relevant and related to the content on the page how, how is it also not a penalty but it's more a devaluation of your link portfolio and let's get into that for a minute before we do that let's explain what is an algorithm for people who may not be familiar with a google algorithm and it's just the, the code that Google uses to determine what queries and, and what search results should appear after a search. And Google's t constantly trying to provide the best query, the best result for the consumer. That's ultimately their job. That's what keeps them in business is they have to have the best information show up when a consumer is searching for an answer. And yeah, on December 14th, they didn't give a lot of details on it. And directly on their page where they announced the algorithm updates, it is said that their, you know, their systems remove spammy links and any benefit that those spammy links had generated in the past no longer benefits. So to me, from everything that I'm reading, it's just that they tightened up their algorithm criteria of what is a spammy link. Mm -hmm. So some links that may have helped in the past may not help now. So things like relevance, the authority of the link, if the if the link had traffic, that's a big one. If you're getting a link from a site that doesn't isn't favored by Google, it's not going to carry a lot of weight. And that's what it's focusing in on. And it's just trying to tighten up and basically bring the cream of the crop uh, to the very top. Yeah, like for us, for instance, six years ago, we were involved in a lawsuit with a lawyer referral service. And because we made fun of them in a blog that we have for whatever good or bad reasons, but uh. And that lawsuit went away. It was never a big deal. But we wound up getting a lot of links sent to us, we assume by then, but who knows. And it was for um, hair loss and dick pills and just nonsense that has no relation or relevancy to personal injury law. And it was all to one page on our website, the truck accident page, if you remember. And then we saw that the, the devaluation happened starting December 14th. And then you saw that page just go like this. Um, let me zoom out a little bit. Just plummeted down. And then overall, it also hurt the site as well because you know, you rise with the tide and you go, you know, it's all of our pages are basically affected by one page. So that hurt our entire site across the board, not drastically, but it created a little bit of an impact. All right. What do you do if you're facing a situation? I didn't want to cut Stan off there. I see you had something to say. Well, well, here I am. I'm just dumbing us down for those of us that are not experts. 
explain exactly what does that mean to to give a link? Like, how does someone put a link on your website? What's that mean? Yeah, when Google was founded, they had to, to determine, you know, which pages should rank. So they're looking at these different signals. And if I always use this analogy, if you're trying to win an election, you want to get as many votes as possible. If you're trying to win the first spot in Google, you want to get as many links as possible, high quality links. Those are the endorsements of your content. What is a link though? Link is, you know. Yeah, it's when, when your URL is mentioned on another website. So if you're in the press, you're in the media, they, and they use your URL, they use dolmanlaw.com, and it's listed, and you can click through and visit your site, that's a link. Now, I don't want to get too granular for the audience, and there's some links that don't pass value, and there's others that do. There's do follow links, and there's no follow links, but that's that's really what we're talking about. It's a major factor when it comes to ranking in the search results. But like I could create a link on my own website to any other website I want. It doesn't require that person's permission, correct? Correct. Correct. And that would be an, an external link and an outbound link. So you would actually be endorsing them. So it would benefit them. That's why when you go to like Fine Law or these directories and they code their sites to where all their outbound links are actually have this no this no follow attribute to it so it doesn't pass externally any of that authority. That's why they do it. That's why a lot of the the big media sites do as well is because they're wanting to contain all that equity for themselves. Mm -hmm. All right. So now go back and explain exactly what was it that happened with us. Someone that we got into an argument with gave a bunch of links. So they go, did they go on other websites, embed our URL in those other websites? The spammiest and crummiest of websites you could possibly find, sites you wouldn't be able to find if you try to find them. They had no authority. And I don't even know, where do you find these websites? I mean, this is like, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel, Chris. These were, uh, and mm -hmm. it was all just dick pills, again, hair loss, real estate promotions, just just crap. So there's a lot of software that does this that's been around for a long time that will go auto comment on a lot of blog posts. That's typically the the main way that they do it. Mm -hmm. is anytime you see a blog where you can put a comment in, a lot of times you can incorporate a link in there. The thing is, this has happened a couple times, and the first time that happened when we got these tons of links to the trucking page, I, I was actually surprised because our rankings actually dramatically improved. We had a benefit off this for six years. I remember seeing with mm -hmm. you at a conference, it was crisp video in 2017, we got hit with the second round or 2018. And we got hit with like 4,000 links in one day, hitting our truck mm -hmm. action page. Our truck action page actually skyrocketed, but it, which we didn't get a ton of truck action cases, but we had a lot of other cases that came in that year. I would attribute to somewhat to that. It helped all of our pages. Yeah. Help the site overall. No question. And there's there's a lot of SEO specialists, I would say, you know, at the bottom of that Bloom's taxonomy that really haven't been in the game as much as they play out of fear and they'll use a tool like SimRush and it will give a link toxicity score and they'll say, hey, we need to disavow these links because they're toxic. They don't help. But the reality is only Google can determine if those links are good or bad. And, and it's up to Google on, on which links are good or bad. It's not up on a third-party tool or an SEO special. So John Mueller himself has came out and publicly stated that you should never, ever disavow your site unless you have a penalty. If you have a manual penalty in Google Search Console, then sure, disavow those links, say, hey, these are bad. But otherwise, you should never. It's frequently, a lot of attorneys will get these emails and say, hey, you've got a lot of toxic links or, or they go talk to an SEO agency that's pitching them to try to get their business and they'll say, oh yeah, your, your SEO agency built all these bad links. You need to quit working with them and we only build good ones. But 
The reality is Google automatically devalues these links through their algorithm. And so you don't need to take any action unless you get an unnatural links penalty. And what you said is correct, by the way, you know, at a previous SEO agency whose name I will not reference here unless you really want me to, Chris, I mean, it sounds like an alcohol drink, but anyway, they told me to take those off and to disavow, they created a whole disavow file. It was like a four month campaign. What happened to the site? Well, it went to the tank, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So we had uh, one of our competing agencies. So they did some work for you. And one of the first things they did was they went and disavowed all these links. But here's the thing. Those links may have contributed to, to a benefit to you and let Google's use their algorithm to devalue and not count links if they don't want to. So that's, that's the main thing. I would say in a 16-year period, 16 years of working with doing SEO, there's been two circumstances where I've used a disavow. The firms came to me and they've had a penalty. It showed up in Google Search Console. It says, you have an unnatural links penalty. Here's, and they'll share some examples. So then you have to go proactively reach out uh, to these sites and try to get your links taken down and disavow your links. Sometimes they, you know, it's a blackmail type of situation where you'll reach out to them to take down a link and they'll be like, yeah, I'll take it down for 20 bucks. And it's like, okay, really? So they'll do that against you. But that is in the history of working for hundreds of law firms, the only two times we've needed to do it. And this is a pretty minor algorithm compared to some of the ones we've seen in the past, like Panda or Penguin, and these that were just crushed a whole entire vertical or a segment of, the, of websites that are out there. So this is kind of a little bit of a seismic reaction, nothing major though, am I right? Yeah, and I think the other thing about it too is the timing of this. Every single November, December, Google releases an algorithm update, whether they say it or not to where they give a benefit to e-com and shopping. Time out for a second. Look at Stan's face. Look how puzzled Stan looks because we're talking about a topic <laughs> that he is – normally Stan dominates these podcasts. He just he's, he doesn't shut up. I can't get a word in edgewise because he's a lot more intelligent than I am, and I'm just like sitting like, like a kid at an adult's table. Now the roles are reversed. Stan doesn't know a lot about SEO, and he just, he's just sitting there like, damn, these two dorks are just going on and on. Well, you know, I understand a lot of the words. And my next question, though, I was going to kind of get in and ask, you know, hey, what else besides links does Google look at, just briefly? Because I know we focused a lot on links, but there's some other stuff out there. Like, like I know just briefly from talking to Matt that we don't want to give crap information. Like, you don't want someone clicking on your site and going, well, this is crap, and, and clicking off. Like, you misled them to get there. Mm -hmm. So in that, you know, in addition to links, it's like quality of content. There's some other stuff that Google looks at. Maybe can you give me like a 30-second overview of what those things it's would gonna be? It's going to take a lot more than 30 seconds for Chris to go through this. Before, I'll preface Chris's answer before you get started with that. There's over 200 ranking factors. We can kind of reverse engineer what the factors are. You can remove certain things and see where it happens. What you can't do is you can never determine how much weight Google puts to – or exactly how much weight they put towards any particular ranking factor. Am I right, Chris? Yeah, so go go through some of the uh, some of the ranking factors that are the most important. The, the broad categories that Google would consider. Yeah, there's there's really three main big pillars. The first would be content, the quality of your content on your website that gives you the opportunity to rank. So, if you want to rank for a particular query, then you have to have those words and phrases on a page on your site. You have to have it. Google can't guess that you want to rank. You, those words have to be on your site. So, if you're a personal injury firm listening and you want to rank for car accidents, you have to have a car accident landing page. You have to have a trucking page. You have to have a whatever whatever practice area that you're going after, slip and fall, premises, whatever. You have to have that content. That's the opportunity. And I like to say that it's 
content is not king, it's table stakes in the in the PI space because all your competitors are going to have these pages. So you have it's a necessity to do great content. That's the big one. We Matt and I can get super super granular when it comes to content because there's a lot of things that fall into that. That's pillar number one. Pillar number two, I would say, be Rank Brain. That is their machine learning algorithm to deter- that reviews how a user interacts with your website. If they come to your website and automatically leave, that's not a good signal for Google. If they come and hang out and visit multiple pages and then they don't go visit a, a similar website, then their intent's probably been met. If you have two pages that cover the same topic and one user stays for a minute, the other minute user stays for two minutes, two minute may be a better signal for Google. If you have uh, the same page and they both stay for two minutes, but then person A doesn't go to another website, but person B does, then maybe maybe that individual didn't get their intent met. So there's a lot of these little things that they look at as how a user engages on the website. That would be rank brain. Or Again, user experience. User experience. It, it's, it's just how they're... Is the consumer being helped? That's that's what they're trying to determine. And then the the third one are are those links endorsing your content, those votes. Coincidentally, if you're wanting to rank in the maps, so local SEO, Google looks at relevance, distance, and prominence. So relevance is is your keyword usage. It's it's what keywords used to associate your business about. Distance would be because of the mobile device and and how proximity is factored into things. And then prominence, underneath prominence, is content and links. So they all kind of fall under those big three buckets, the content, rank brain, and user experience, and then links. Yeah. Okay, I got a question for you then. Like, with respect to content itself, you've got the keywords. Like, if someone's looking for car accident, I mean, I'm assuming that that Google favors like a, a website that's got paragraphs about car accident as opposed to someone who just writes car accident, car accident, car accident, bad car accident, wreck car accident, wreck car accident. Like, how does it tell, like, just picking up the words, like the quality of what's around those words? It's a really good question. You want to go first, first, Chris? I'll let you yeah, go. Yeah, you go for it, Matt. Go for it. Well, Chris is going to possibly correct me, but uh, we generally think the same. Everything I learned so much from Chris, and this has obviously become my life is digital marketing, but they'll be able to identify right away just through their machine learning and their algorithms that you spam the hell out of using the same keyword over and over and over again, just for the only purpose is just to facilitate the rankings. Um, you're not providing any type of um, information that's actually relevant to the consumer, the end user. So you're not satisfying their query, if you will. It really comes down to having a granular feel for the content and building the best pages possibly out there, looking at what pages really rank for those specific keywords. And we call, and it's it's not, I've come up with this term, this is known through throughout the industry, almost like skyscraper content, which is taking the top five, 10 pages that are out there and making yours just better than theirs through a number of different analytic tools that we use when we, when we draft content. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it comes down to helping the consumer and, and understanding if you're answering their intent. And let me, let me kind of expound on that. So if a consumer lists the, the intent in their query, what are the steps I need to take after a car accident? We know their intent. We need to answer the steps that they need to take, right? Very clear in the, in the query itself. However, if they just type in car accident, we don't know. Do they need a lawyer? Are they looking for how often car accidents occur? Are they hurt? So if the query is very long and the intent's defined, you can write a very precise article that writes answers that intent. And it doesn't maybe necessarily have to be super long. 
But if the query's short and you're trying to rank for something we don't know the intent, then maybe you have to write a really long article to answer multiple versions of intent. And that's a big one. And then the skyscraper content is where that comes into play and, and just creating the best piece of content out there. So let me ask, when you're tailoring your website to sort of target a specific audience, are you just guessing at what this audience is searching? Like, here's what I think the search terms would be for people looking at this. Is there any kind of tool to tell what's really happening out there and what search terms people are actually using? You know the answer to this. I did, for, so well, hang on. I know Stan kind of and Becky come upstairs. These are my two partners. They both, Becky, for those who are not listening to this or watching, and they come up and they're like, you know how many different analytics tools you're paying for right now? And maybe when we put our budget together for next year, we might want to scale that back. And how many of them do you actually use and for what purpose? So- we had this conversation, Stan. See, there's definitely a ton of tools that are out there. And if you want to, do you want to go through them, Chris? There's so many. We each have our favorites. So I, I really, I really like Ahrefs, Simrush, uh, Surfer SEO. In terms of like, geez, I mean, me and Matt can but, both. But the answer to Stan's question, like, you're, if you know, if you're yeah. looking for a, a, a keyword or search queries that, that come that focus around that keyword or permutations of that keyword. Where do you go first? Google Trends and Google Search Console, the free tools. Google's always going to have the most information. Those would be those are two of my favorite. The very next one right behind that, for me personally, and everyone has their favorites, is I like Ahrefs. Mm-hmm. They have a very good crawler. The site's very intuitive to use. Some of these tools get very complicated, and um, I just think it provides a very good, uh, excellent amount of information. So that gives you the info on what people are searching for, you mm-hmm. know, kind of so you know how to capture that search. Yeah, and there's other things too. There's there's a lot of websites out there. So like Fine Law and Avo, you can see what consumer what questions are asking. And you want to answer those types of questions as well. And you can use your internal information from a consumer's experience that comes into your office, you know, what questions are they asking? That could be great content that you could contribute to your website. Before, before Chris and I do anything, I get Chris, will, I'm sure will tell you the same thing. We look at Google autocomplete. So if you like type in, I need a car accident lawyer, it'll, it'll finish the phrase for you or suggest what it, and you could find 30 other questions or queries that are related to that topic. And that those are other subjects you should blog about or incorporate into the very blog that you're writing and use them as uh, different headers and, that's those are subtopics to the main topic you're talking about. You could answer a number of questions and hit them because that's Google telling you what norm people are normally searching for. Those are the high val- volume we call long tail search terms, meaning that they're not it's not car accident lawyer, which is um, it seems nice and shiny, but there's really no intent behind that. And yes, everybody wants to rank for number one and for a car accident lawyer, but very rarely does that going to uh, turn out to be a case for you. So if you're listening and you're a personal injury lawyer, you want to really take focus your content, tailor your content to long tail search terms, those are more likely to stick. Those are the people who are actually searching for something specific. You're answering it for them. Now you have a captive audience and you're likely to convert that person. Yeah, and the, the big thing is SEO is different than a lot of other marketing channels. It's, it's you're creating an asset. Essentially functions like a library. The more books you have on the shelf, the more opportunities a consumer can go, cho- can go choose that respective book, right? And that would be the amount of content you're putting on your website and just answering every single question that that you could possibly think of. You're just building this massive library. And that's where there's a momentum compounding traffic and and it it helps from a link acquisition standpoint. And that's why a lot of like solo practitioners or new attorneys, when they're trying to compete for SEO, it's very, very challenging because of economies of scale and the momentum that these 
uh, existing sites have that are already ranking. Yeah, we've been doing this now for how many years, Chris? Is it the two of us together, at least eight years, nine years. Yeah. And before that, I had four years already built into the website. So anybody entering now, we've run so many laps around the track. Our site's there to stick. We will fluctuate in value. We're never going to crash. And we're, we have just a, a big advantage over those who are now entering into the space or who really never just put a focus into digital marketing. Right. Yeah, and that's kind of what I learned coming over here is it seems like this is kind of a slow play. Like in order to really start to be seen, you have to build a base, you have to slowly build a base. And it seems like you see zero results for a long time because it's such a competitive marketplace. You know, and, and if someone's trying to like, I'm, I'm naive when it comes to this stuff. And I can already tell you, there's no way I could do this myself. If I was an attorney with a website, I would have to defer to an SEO guy. And I'm just going to, you know, ask for people that are in my position, they're going to use an SEO guru. I'm going to, I'm going to have someone help me with this. A lot of these guys are full of shit. Okay. I've seen some mm -hmm. of them. Okay. A lot oh, of them are, business full of so many charlatans. Are, are trying to pretend like they're ranking you organically and getting you crawled by, you know, buying some PPC. So you see some volume and they make it seem like it's working and stuff like that. For someone who's naive and just starting out, are there any kind of warning signs that they should look for if they're working with an SEO person going, I don't think this guy might be full of crap. You know, what is it they should look for? Raise okay, let's, let's go. Hands. What do you got? Before, before Chris goes, before I even answer that question, I also want to make sure everyone understands that they need to set their expectations accordingly. And too many people, like, we travel the same circle. So, and I'm going to get back to your question in a second, uh, Stan. Too many, we travel the same circles, Chris and I. And I know a lot of his clients, and there's only so many big agencies that are in a legal vertical. And they'll come to me and be like, hey, Matt, you know, I have Chris as my uh, SEO guy. And how come I'm not on the first page where I'm ranking number one and I've had him for two months? And it's like, listen, dipshit, I, we've had this conversation. We've actually talked about this. Chris told you, but I'm going to tell you the same thing. It's been two months. I've been doing this now for 13 years. It's going to take time, especially in something that's that hyper competitive, that's such a high search volume. You got to set your expectations accordingly. This is a marathon, not a sprint. You're not going to probably see results for the first nine months to a year. With that being said, now, how do you spot the scumbags out there? Well, okay, Chris can go second. He's going to be a lot more diplomatic than I'm going to be. If anyone's promising you anything, right off the bat, just start walking, get the fuck out of that room. If they're telling you they're going to have you ranked number one, two, or three within 30, 45 days, they might be able to get you ranked quickly. And they're probably going to pull a black hat spammy tactic that as soon as Google recognizes it or crawls the site, they're going to penalize you. And that tactic may work for quite a while. But eventually, when you do get whacked, you end up in what's called Google's penalty box. And we know many folk, Chris and I, that have ended up in Google's penalty box, and that's not something simple or easy. That could be a year and a half, two years where no one sees your website at all, or you're just, you're removed. It's like, you don't exist. You're there. You could search your address, but you're not going to show up in the search engine or any relevant queries. So you got to be very, very careful. Most people don't realize the damage that can be done by somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Now, the majority of guys in this field are not the worst. What they are is they're giving, give you a very cookie cutter uh, formula. And I would also avoid people that are representing nine different law firms in your jurisdiction or your area. You're going to have some overlap. Chris and I have overlap. I'm a national practice. But when you have a company that's coming in pitching you, and they're also representing three of your seven competitors, <laughs> you got a problem. You're competing against yourself. But walk out of the room when somebody's promising you specific results. Matt, one thing I was going to ask that he peeked up, he mentioned black hat. And I know kind of the definition of black hat and white hat. But we've lost him away from to give. Maybe explain a little bit. What is that when he said black hat search? Yeah, the whole hat analogy or, or description comes from like the old westerns, right? A lot of times the villain wore the black hat or the good guy wore the white hat. 
So there are a lot of things that Google tells you not to do. For example, right now, Google's saying, don't use AI-based content. Google has publicly stated that. John Mueller said, we're going to penalize you if you use artificial intelligence to write your content. So what do you do with that? Do you, do you use the, the AI content or, you, or do you follow their guidelines, right? So if, if, you're, if you're not, you're wearing that black hat a little bit. And the same comes from the tactics to acquire a link. Now, there are things that Google says, and then there are things that... For a black hat, like if you're doing a black hat technique, is it one of those things that it might work until you get caught? Yeah, yeah. A lot of times it's a short-term approach. So back in the day, a lot of individuals used to buy a lot of links. They would go to Ezine articles or, or Build My Rank uh, was a couple. There, there's many of these. And that would work for short-term until Google would you know, penalize the whole network or or could identify you're a part of a link scheme or using private blog networks. And then all that money that you invested or all that time, it's just down the drain. And that's why it's just, when I look at our agency, here's the thing. Algorithm updates typically don't, I don't have any fear, right? Because we're trying to do things right. And if we do things right, then we feel that we should rise to the top where other individuals will fall. So, Chris, we got into this a little bit before, but AI is one of the big things that's coming on now with artificial intelligence and its ability to draft or write content for people just by putting in the subject. Maybe talk a little bit about that. What's Google doing about it? And how does AI work with respect to content creation? Jeez, this is a big one. This, this really threatens Google as a whole, to be honest. And so first, I will give you the warning of what John Mueller has publicly said. So Google search advocate John Mueller says, content automatically generated with AI writing tools is considered spam according to search engines webmaster guidelines. So they're against it. The thing is, when this started coming about, I went to Steven and my team. I said, are we farming without tractors? Like literally, are we row cropping, you know, our content without tools and technology? Are we just being stubborn? Because... It's on the cusp, right? I I personally, though, when I look at Jasper, Copy AI, Chat GPT, it's not quite there in V1. Maybe in V10 or V8, it's going to be ready to rock, but it still needs a lot of a human touch to it. And, and Matt, I would let you, I know you've experimented with Jasper and some of the tools too. So, you know, what have you found as well? Yeah, the content comes out a bit wonky. Sometimes the syntax is a bit off. If you uh, here's a, here's a big problem. So for those out there who are going to use this for like a test and plagiarize and you know write and prepare this for their professor, it might pass muster if the professor is not running it through a tool. By the way, there's tools out now to see if you're running it through AI. Having said that, if they're not using that tool, eventually by paragraph two or paragraph three, they're going to come across like a passage, and that's why you don't want to just blindly hand this over. If you're going to use Jasper, you got to clean the, t- the content up and edit it yourself and really with a fine tooth comb. So it's almost waste of time. You might as well write it yourself. If you want to like, you're stuck in an email passage, you want to write an email, you're not sure what to say. Machine learning will help you finish your sentence. It'll help you finish the paragraph and write it well for you. But when you're using it for content, it comes out with a sentence that's just does not, it's improper vernacular, improper syntax. And it just comes off sounding a bit off and doesn't sound like your natural voice. And you can tell it doesn't, there's one sentence or two sentences that do not look like all the other sentences. And it will stand out very quickly to you. And we talked about this before, Chris, when we were, you know, just on the phone earlier, just chatting, because Chris and I talk a lot, is eventually there's going to become like a copyright issue with a lot of this content that's out there, because all it's doing is scraping out all the thousands, or I shouldn't say thousands, the billions of pages that exist in Google right now 
that's what this machine learning tool is using to generate the very answers that you're seeking, but it's using content. And that content itself, could it be copyrighted? And there's a lot of content out there right now, keep saying the word content, articles that are speculating to that issue coming up in the very near future. And when will that come up? So just be very careful using Jasper AI or Chat GPT. They're amazing tools. I've been playing around with them a lot. It helps me finish uh, sentences. It helps me finish a paragraph. But then you got to edit it and make sure you're being very... It's a very peculiar tool. I, I think it has to go through a three or four more iterations before we're going to see something that's finally tuned. This is scary, though, and it is the future. You probably want to embrace it sooner or later. I would not use it as your content strategy. I think it's going to be a problem. I think many people see that as, wow, I might as well jump into chat GPT. I can fire my content writers, or I don't need content writers. Why the hell do I need Chris Dreyer or you know all the other digital agencies out there? I can pump out 70 pages a day. You could. Mm-hmm. But I think those 70 pages a day are going to be considered low quality unless you're going through each single one, every word that's out there. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, there's definitely tools, a couple of the popular ones that check. So, for example, if you're using an agency or a vendor to help you with your content, I would highly recommend checking it to see if they're using AI. The most popular one is called Hugging Face. And then there's another one called Writer.com. They both have AI-based detection that you can run your content through it. And... You know, like Matt said, we're going to run into these copywriting issues in the future, because especially when these AI-based tools start monetizing their platforms and they start selling your content, your, your material, like then you get into, well, who owns it? You know, who, who has the rights to it? And I imagine there'll be a ton of lawsuits that's in the future. I personally, when I look at this, I think it's good for like ideation and getting out of a rut. So sometimes it's like, how do I start this article? How do I, I want to maybe cover this topic and you can put it into Jasper. That's what I use it for right now. And it will just generate you a bunch of ideas. And you're like, oh, okay, I can go that direction with my content and then give it a human element. The other thing is a lot of these content agencies that solely just sell content, they're already commoditized, right? They're already productized, certain word count and you know, they're using international labor and arbitrage to lower these, these fees. And it, and if you're doing the similar type of content, this is productized, this very quick content. It's like, are you truly improving Google search, search results? Like, are you adding value to the search engine? And I think it's going to change. And I think there's going to be a lot more time spent on each individual article and truly making it the best, like Matt referred to in these skyscraper types of situations, and not just blanketing every single page with a thousand or two thousand words. I think it's a good tool, though. I mean, I do use it. I use it regularly right now to help me start paragraphs, or a lot of times to take content and make it even better. And then I'll just throw paragraphs in there. And what I really use it for is outlines. I'll pick a topic, and it'll it'll actually. I don't know if you use it that way, but it'll put together basically a granular level outline for you to follow to write your very article. I use it that way. I don't use it to write the article, though. I think it's very obvious if you're using AI, at least at this point. Do we know much about how sophisticated Google's AI detection is yet, or is this still kind of in its infancy? Is it, I mean, is it just like all of us have some AI detection, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can read a Google review and when when it says the item is very pleasing in its appearance and full of convenience in its use. Okay, I know someone has translated poorly, okay, and it's fake, but I got to imagine that Google's approach to picking this out is slightly more sophisticated than just errors in syntax. Does it, does it go to content construction, or do we know any of that? I believe it does. I think that, uh, I mean, there's an individual at Stanford that holds a patent to this, 
I imagine that uh, Google's already picked up this technology or some iteration of this technology. They have some of the best engineers known to man. They recruit out of Caltech, Stanford, Berkeley, and they're getting the best guys out there from throughout the country, by the way, not just Cal schools. But uh, I'm assuming that they're this, this threatens their very existence. Yeah, they're on it. Let me ask you, do you think Google buys this technology to begin then to reverse engineer and be able to detect who's using it? Either they buy it or they have their own engineers come up with their own way of doing this, but yes. Absolutely. I mean, there's a hedge. So you've got Microsoft who invested, what, 100 or $10 billion into this technology. I think it was $10 billion was the number. You got NVIDIA who's, who's investing heavily into this. And you know Google and Microsoft going head-to-head -head all the time. So Google's absolutely investing in this technology, as well as Amazon. Amazon uses AI based to determine which products to show a user that will give them the most likelihood to convert into a sale. So everyone's dabbling into this trillion-dollar uh, market. So let me ask you this. Do you pretend, and this is just pure theory here, and me th throwing stuff again. Do you foresee a time when Google has its own AI bot that it then allows people to use if you pay for Google's AI bot, but then penalizes you if you use anyone else's? As though, hey, if you want to use AI, you can use ours, but no one else's. And then cause, you know, make people subscribe to that as another revenue generating arm for Google. Hmm. That's a tough question. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know that it would be a situation like that. I think the other real problem with this is who is the original source of information? So if you, if you disincentivize a consumer from creating content just because everything's being pulled through AI, and then they have to have that user-generated content to continue to expand and answer more queries and cover more topics and especially on fresh and current events. So there's a balancing act of, of, of wanting a, a consumer to actually contribute to their index, to their library. You know, that's really interesting. I hadn't even really thought about that, but it's true. You know, when something is new and fresh, at one point in time, there's only one article on it. There's a first article on everything. Mm -hmm. And if there's only one written, AI only has one to scrape, and everything AI spits out is going to look a lot like that one. Yeah, and I was, I was actually going to put Matt on the spot. I mean, like, torts. You want to you expand on this, on, like, the one thing that Stan's talking about? I'm not missing this one's going over my head. What do you got? Well, I mean, like on a tort, for example, you got a new, new tort that comes out, and there's no information about it. You want to be first in. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's usually our game. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and because then everybody's pulling from your information, and they're copying you. There's, there's canonicalization issues. So a lot of these times, you know, you go to a MTMP conference, or you listen to something, you know, like a, a Papatoni or someone talk about the torts. That's too late. Like the, by the time they're talking about it, and if you want to, from an SEO perspective, it's probably too late. It really is. It's so hyper competitive that if you come in, especially against somebody like my us, we have such a strong website. It's it's way too late. Even for us, if we're not in, and I say with the first 15, 20 articles have been entered on that subject, we have trouble ranking in the top five. And mm -hmm. if you're not in top five, you're generally nowhere in a mass tort. Yeah, and I mean our our volume specifically for your site when we got into Tylenol. I mean, it was through the roof. Oh, I'd wake up in the morning and have like 15 contracts already ready to roll. It was, it was insane. But even Lejeune, were we the first in Lejeune? We weren't. Um, but we were one of the 20 top, I would say the initial 20 firms that were in. And we were able to get number one and number top five on a whole host of keywords. But if we weren't, if we waited another month or so, we would have been completely screwed. 
I think our position in Tylenol, I think, was even stronger because I, I really think by the time we were in Lejeune, most people knew about it. Mm-hmm. I think some of our Tylenol position has truly raised first awareness with people to make them aware that this is an issue. They heard about it from us first as opposed to finding us after they'd heard about yeah, it. Yeah, I kind of had a shock and awe campaign. I went through Twitter and had all these sponsored posts and Facebook too and where people commenting left and right and I spur them on by making controversial statements and they keep coming back at me and the anti-vaxxers and it's just – but that worked, but then it also raised awareness and my competitors saw that and they all started doing the same exact – because everybody copies and that's, and that's flattering, but it did hurt us a bit. I wouldn't say hurt us. We still get tons of volume, but now there's 80 people playing for those top three spots rather than three people playing for those top three spots. It's a lot harder, so right. we have to constantly – change and evolve and we just evolved our whole website we rebuilt or say chris rebuilt the website and uh just got launched last week and we're already seeing some traction so the tylenol pages even went up a couple of spots today in today's ranking and uh you know it's the ebb and flow of uh what we were used to with uh the serps and that serps is search engine result placements that's every day it's going to change a little bit yeah well it sounds like search engine optimization somewhat like the practice of law right i mean you can't just stay asleep at the wheel for five years, wake up and assume that the laws haven't changed and the standards are the same, and you're just going to pull this 10-year-old case law without looking to see what's mo- what's changed. I mean, sounds like in order to stay on top of the game, you got to stay on top of the changes. You have to be on it pretty much every day. Yeah, You take a month off, you can fall very far behind. There's always updates coming out. Yeah, there's, there's Google Alerts you can set up uh, on specific queries to be alerted directly to your inbox to your email on, on certain situations like algorithm updates like google algorithm right you can get updates uh, i know a lot of people use those on brands too to you know search when they're being mentioned in the media but all that it, it's a constant I, I think that that speaks to focus too right if you want to be an expert litigator you got to constantly be on it and practicing your messaging and, and you know getting in the courtroom and if you want to be a top SEO specialist, you got to be, you know, applying and testing and constantly on the cusp of anything that's new. Yeah, and Chris will tell you, there's there's so many algorithm updates that come out all they come out all the time. All the time. You're just we're focused on the big ones that everybody hears about, but there if you look at the search engine result placements or any of these analytics tools like SEMrush or Arefs, they'll identify little seismic events that are occurring, and they occur usually once a week, sometimes once every ten days. Something's happening where. The engineers at Google have changed around the weight that they're attributing to certain ranking factors, and suddenly you see a little bit of a shift. Then we have to reverse engineer and figure out why are we seeing a difference, and we're constantly speculating. And by the time you figure out an answer, Google's hit you with three other algorithm updates. It's just it's 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 a it's a rat race. We enjoy it, but it's a rat race. Yeah, and the other thing too is a lot of these data studies, for example, they're looking at across all industries. They're not looking at just the legal. And we know that legal and medical are more scrutinized, right? They look at those particular industries differently than, say, a shopping cart, right? Because the information, it's so much more critical to be accurate, right? Especially on the, like medical conditions and things like that. So mm-hmm. it, it's across the board. And, it, you know, it's constant. And it's, it's just learn and improve, learn and improve. And, and back in the day, Stan, like what you mentioned was, yeah, you could write a 500-article word on a topic and if it was the only one that existed you would rank but nowadays if you write a 500 word article on something that exists i mean you don't have a prayer to rank in many situations yeah you won't find you and what chris just referenced is called your money your life so google came up with an update i think it was about two three years ago where if it's about financial sector if somebody can rely on it for financial advice a medical advice or legal advice 
They're going to scrutinize it for expertise, authoritiness, and trustworthiness. And they're really going to figure out if you're truly an expert and vet you. And based on the content you've submitted before, based on your accolades, your education, your pedigree, Google looks at all of that before they, you know, to determine if they should rank your content. Absolutely. All right. Well, let me ask you, Becky, if anyone wants to reach out and get more information about this, I am a horrible person to ask, okay? Because it's going to be the blind leading the blind. You know, how can they get hold of either one of you if they have some real questions about something you've brought up or want to follow up on you know, something either one of you have addressed today? Sure. You can always reach me at dolmanlaw.com, D-O-L-M-A-N law.com. And you can, it's just mad at dolmanlaw.com. Just draft me an email. I'm happy to always respond. But Chris is rankings.io, Chris. Yeah, same, rankings.io. And then if you want to send me an email, it's chris, C-H-R-I-S, at rankings.io and happy to answer any questions you may have. I appreciate having you, Chris. We you know, we always love having you. You know, you're one of my best it's friends, but, all, but having you here is like the third or fourth episode we filmed with you and you're always a wealth of information. Yeah, love it, love it, same. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because each time I think I understand a bit about SEO, I find I really don't understand too much. And I find myself constantly going up to Matt's office going, Matt, what, what's this? What's this? How's this working? Matt, you know, between Matt and Chris, they get it all figured out. But I am. The- well, if you don't know the answer, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to Chris. Chris knows more than, I, you know, I've learned a lot of what I know from Chris. Well, if neither one of you know the answer, that pretty much means everyone in the country is guessing. Pretty much. Yeah. I would say if we don't know it, good chance or it has no impact on the legal vertical at all. And generally probably yeah. not even the search vertical because Chris knows a lot more than just legal. It's like a big game. Matt and I really enjoy it. I mean, Matt's up on a Saturday night, hitting me at 11 p.m., and we're talking about SEO stuff. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I appreciate having you, Chris. And thanks again, Stan. Yeah. Thanks, Stan. Thanks, yeah, it's Matt. been a great episode. You know, everyone, thanks for listening. It's been another episode of the David vs. Goliath podcast. Hope you enjoyed this and found it to be entertaining and somewhat informative, too especially if you're someone involved in the legal vertical that's got any involvement in search engine or organic search queries or any of that trying to drive traffic to your website. The information these guys have is invaluable, so don't hesitate to reach out to them. They're both literally both just two of the premier experts in this field, and like it would cost you a thousand dollars an hour. I'm a quasi expert, Chris. Is oh, please! In the in the legal vertical, there are there are very yeah, but I still put Chris out of me. Well, okay, but I can sit out there. You're an attorney, okay? And you do better at this than a lot of people who specialize in the industry who we will not name. But there's a number of people who say they do this and you're better yeah, at it. Yeah, but with Chris's help. I mean, Very it's sure. just yeah. the bottom line. We make a good team, Chris and I. Yeah. But it's rare that you're going to run into a search engine guy who's going to be better at the practice of law than Fair a enough. lawyer. Yeah. Right? You know, it, it's even rare. I think you find a lawyer that's better at the practice, you know, at search engine optimization than a lot of the SEO guys. So, Between the two of you, I've got two of the premier experts in the country, whether you believe it or not, at my disposal. So I get my questions answered quickly. I don't, and I don't think you realize how many people out there are trying to break into this industry, don't know anything, and are just terrified about where to start. Always happy to help. I think Chris feels the same way. Thank you both. All right, guys. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks, guys. This episode of David versus Goliath is over, but your journey is just getting started. To share your story with us, visit dolmanlaw.com. That's D-O-L-M-A-N-Law.com. Or call 866-965-6242.
The insights and views presented in David vs. Goliath are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney, nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. Any case result information provided on any portion of this podcast should not be understood as a promise of any particular result in a future case. Dolman Law Group. Big firm results. Small firm personal attention.